Amen. Good morning. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of John. So go ahead and open up in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to be picking up in the middle in verse 22. As you're, as you're turning there, just want to invite you all for just a moment before we open up the Word of God to bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's just have a moment of stillness. And I'm going to ask you to pray on your own right now that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through the words of Jesus. So go ahead in that moment, in this moment right now, ask him. And now I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me with a gifting to be able to lift up Jesus and to use everything in me that you want, God, to celebrate and lift up the goodness of your son. Amen. So the last few weeks of life, and maybe for some of you it's similar, have been uh, a season of being in the waiting room, like the doctor waiting room. And uh, uh, the last couple of days, found myself again sitting in the waiting room. And I felt like God had spoken to me and given me comfort, like it was going to be okay. But then found myself again in the waiting room, waiting on the doctor to give good news or not. And at first I felt pretty hopeful and confident. And then 20 minutes went by of waiting, sitting in the waiting room. And I felt myself feeling scared again. And as I was sitting there, I tried to distract myself. I wasn't fully done with my sermon yet. So I started trying to take some notes and think about the gospel of John. And as I was reading through it, just sitting in the waiting room, I kind of thought like, I had this question I've been thinking about since we started John, which was this book was written to the church filled with people who believe. So why is the entire thing from start to finish constantly telling them to believe, right? Like, and so I just kind of was sitting there thinking that, And then, you know, had one of those aha moments with God where I was like, oh, I believe. I'm sitting in a waiting room. I feel like God has already spoken to me and I need to be told again to believe. So we will, for the rest of your life, if you follow Jesus, you will basically for the rest of your life be living in the waiting room. We have been told and promised of good news but we have yet to see the face of Jesus. And so we wait. And when you wait, you need two things. You need to be reassured. And then you need the spirit to pull you close and say, believe again, keep believing. So I I want us to open up the scriptures today and watch Jesus, watch him, listen to him. And as we do, I'm going to ask a few questions that I just want us all to ask personally today. Does this sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's jump in at the beginning with verse 22 and read along with me. It says, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. 
So this is, this is the time of Hanukkah. That's what the Feast of Dedication means. And Jesus is walking on the part of the temple where there's a little covering because it's winter, so it's a little chilly out. And I imagine because he's not setting himself up to teach that it was going to be like his rest day, maybe. Like Jesus is just trying to relax. He's trying to enjoy the festivities. Maybe I imagine he's got like a lamb kebab in his hand and he's like, you know, enjoying it, looking the grace. He's watching everybody like dancing and celebrating like the rededication of the temple. And I, and I wonder if he's having one of those like, like reflective moments. Like, man, they're rededicating the temple. Soon they're going to tear down the true temple, my body. But, you know, his relaxation can't continue. They gang up on Jesus, the Jewish leaders. They corner him and they force him to try to ask a question. They tell him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Yes or no, Jesus, are you the Messiah or are you not? For them, they're done with the metaphors, right? They're like, you know what? Bread of life, light, water, water. Just tell us plainly, are you or aren't you? Because so far, if you go back through the gospel of John, Jesus has not revealed and said, I am the Messiah or I am the Christ to anyone except for in secret. But he has told them who he is. Jesus responds and he says, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Why would Jesus just not come out and just say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah? Well, he's in a crowd filled with the political assumptions of the Jewish people at that time. And for him to just say the word that they want to hear, he automatically is just fitting into their presumptions. But Jesus has told them. He has shown them. He has shown them by making the man who was paralyzed walk again, that God's power was on the move. He had opened the eyes of the blind, something that only God himself could do. He told them that he was the light of the world, the bread from heaven, the living water. He has shown them. He has told them. Their lack of belief is not on Jesus's end because of a lack of clarity. And it's not for lack of science. They don't believe for lack of desire. He says to them, you are not my sheep. The first question that I want us to ask, am I really in? Am I really in? the sheep. Because for them, they had assumed we're a part of the people of God. Of course, but for Jesus to speak to them, he is challenging them to rethink their assumptions. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. I mean, imagine kind of the gut punch of this. This is like Jesus getting on stage in Easter and being like, you're all not Christians. (laughs) Oh, what? what? What'd you say? (laughs) So he says this, and he says, the reason is that my sh- you are not my sheep and my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. They do not want to hear his voice. They do not want to be known by him. And they don't want to follow him. 
I've told you a handful of stories over the years about my time either on campus, talking to students, or in Alpha, talking to just some of my friends and peers who do not believe in the gospel. And I've shared a lot of really fun, like, God stories of celebration, but there's actually a handful of sad ones. One of the stories is the story of a student, I'll, I'll say his name is Tyler. And he, uh, he ended up being with us for years and we spent time together and didn't believe in the gospel. And at one point, just kind of after a while of telling the gospel every which way, felt this frustration of like, man, what, like, what would it take for you to believe? And he goes, oh, I don't even know. I'm like, well, what if we asked God to show up in a way that only you would know? Like we pray, like, I don't know, like for 30 days, we'll pray. And at the end of the 30 days, we'll see if God will show up some way for you. Would you want to do that? Sure. So we pray right then and there. 30 days go by, never hear from him. Another week goes by. He texts me and my other friend and we get together and he begins to tell this story of how just kind of randomly at this point in school, this student, another fellow student of his had said, you should go home and think about your life, which was just such a bizarre thing to say to like another student. So he goes home and he goes into his bedroom and he lays on his bed and he just starts thinking about his life. And he recounts this experience of feeling like God gives him this vision of heaven and hell and essentially saying, you choose overwhelms him to the point where he says that the only thing he could do is get on his face for half an hour and just lay there. Praise God, I'm excited. He tells a story. We think like, this is just such a cool moment. Next week we get together. Hey, let's talk about Jesus and who he is and what it means to follow him. I don't know about Jesus. And so we keep talking. And at that one point I get frustrated with him. And I go, look, I have been walking with Jesus for like 10 years now. I have asked God all the time to give me these moments where I get to see him in big ways. And I've had lots of them. And people who follow Jesus often ask for these big signs to see them because how beautiful to see them, right? These miracle moments. And some of us don't even get that answer yet. And here you are and you're seeing these things. We asked God, he showed up and you still believe, I don't believe, I don't know what to tell you. Jesus, in the same situation here, saying it's not for lack of signs or power, it is for lack of desire. We often can assume, even as Christians, that the depth of our faith would be so much more if God were to perform XYZ miracle. Or if we really were just to, to really get it intellectually, God were to explain it to us in such a way, the deeper things of theology, then our faith would go really deep but it's actually about desire. It is not for lack of belief. It is not for lack of signs. So the first question that we need to ask is, am I really in? Am I really one of the sheep? How can I know? Jesus says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Do you love the sound of Jesus' voice? Really? Do you love it? When you hear the stories of the gospels, does your heart begin to warm up? Do you want him? Because it says, he says, my sheep, they hear my voice. Not just 
hear it auditory, but they love the voice. And then Jesus says, and I know them. We talk a lot about getting to know Jesus, but do you desire for Jesus to know you? Are you desi- is your desire there? Do you, are you willing and wanting to open up everything that you are and allow Jesus to know you? Which is beautiful because that's something, right? Getting to know Jesus might be something that could be a little bit ethereal for us even. Like, what, what does that necessarily mean? But even if it might be hard for me to know and, and to, to worship Jesus who I cannot see, what I can do is I can open myself up and go, God, I know my faith is sometimes all over the place, but I want you to know me. I want everything that I have for you to see and for you to know. And that often can be very terrifying. The scary thing about really diving in and trying to learn how to pray and see if God will speak to you in that moment is not whether or not God will speak to you. It's what if he does? (laughs) Because then I'm exposed. But the sheep, you know your sheep if you want him to know you. You want him to see you. And lastly, do you desire to be anywhere that he is? My sheep, follow me, Jesus says. Do you want to be around him? Do you want to be around Jesus? And any time that his people get together, are you desperate to be around that because you just hope that you're going to catch a bit of Jesus? Any time there's an opportunity to serve and do something, you, you, you have this desire to be there for hope that you might catch a glimpse of Jesus. You want to follow him. You want to live like him because you just want to be where he is. That is what it means to be a sheep. Some of you after going through that might actually be sitting here and going like, I think I thought I was a sheep, but maybe I'm not. That much of your faith actually is tied up in religious performance and knowing the right things and less of a relationship. For you, I pray the next portion of what Jesus says in these next questions will be an invitation to true belief. Some of you in in this room or even listening online, you are not a sheep and you know you're not a sheep. And my hope is still that you'd receive an invitation. Some of us are sheep, but we are so insecure. We are scared. And the next portion of this and the next question that I want us to ask, let's say I'm a sheep. Can I fall out? Read in verse 27. Again, let's hear these words. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. In the Greek, it says never, ever perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. To those who are sheep, truly the church, the people of God, Jesus gives us eternal life. What is eternal life? Because John talks about it quite a bit in this gospel. And if we tie it up with the assumptions that we might have just as Americans in 2021, 
it can get a bit muddy. In fact, I've talked to some of the other pastors over uh, this last week of just thinking like, sometimes we talk about eternal life and people just assume it's just like this ethereal, never-ending existence. Because we assume as, as Americans, to be alive means you exist. That's pretty much it, right? So if I'm gonna exist forever, existing is hard. So maybe existing forever, like sometimes that sounds a little scary. What, what is that even gonna look like? But this is not how the Jewish people at Jesus's time and all throughout the Old Testament thought about life. To be alive did not mean that you had a heartbeat and that you had cognition and that you existed. To be alive meant to have fellowship with God, the creator, to have fellowship with his people and have fellowship and connection to the land that he had given them. Which which makes sense when you think about the story of Adam and Eve. Let's go all the way back. God tells Adam and Eve, if you decide to define good and evil for yourself, you will die. But what doesn't happen when they eat the fruit? They don't drop dead. But what does happen? Their fellowship with God is broken. They hide from him. Their fellowship with each other becomes marred and destroyed. Even though they are husband and wife, they cover up their nakedness. Their fellowship with each other is broken. And the fellowship with the land that God had given them, they're kicked out of the garden. And now the land that was supposed to bring forth life brings thorns. That is what eternal life is when Jesus talks about it is the reversal back to what we were supposed to have in the garden. Walking around in the cool of the day with God. We would have never had a conversation of what do you think about God? We would have just asked God to show up and we talked to him. Can you imagine a life where we have no disconnection from each other because we are so openly known by God, it extends to each other and there is no strife. There's nothing but humanity, unity, and fellowship. Could you imagine a world where you're at work and never does work push back against you. <laughs> Apparently we all connect to that one. Eternal life that Jesus talks about is not so much an existence ethereally forever. It is communion and connection with the God who made us. It is relationship, covenantal relationship that can never be broken. A relationship where you can say dad and God answers you. It's communion. And when Jesus goes to the cross, the last thing he prays is this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is intimate communion with our creator God that we lost at the fall. That's what the whole story of the Bible is after. Getting it back. Eternal life is the gift that he gives us. And hear me, eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins right now. We have been given eternal life by Jesus. And so often we think that we're waiting for it. You've already been given it. Jesus has given you eternal life. You can talk to God and whether you feel it or not, he hears you and he answers immediately. He loves you. Eternal life begins now because it's a relationship. But of course, it has to continue even past death. Because what's the ugliest thing about seeing a beautiful relationship 
but then to see it as it gets broken in death. How horrible has it been for many of us to watch our mothers or our grandmothers, their spouse die. And the ugly thing is not that their heart stops, it's that the relationship they had was broken. Jesus gives us eternal life and it begins now, but it must continue past death. It has to, to be a beautiful gift. It is a gift that he gives. And then Jesus promises they will never, ever perish. I will not lose my sheep. I give him a gift that is so beautiful and so good that the thing that everyone has to experience at the end of their life, that won't even be able to touch it. I love my sheep too much, Jesus says. Eternal life. I I pray that you would hear that and that you would be spiritually hungry for that. But I also know that sheep are very insecure and afraid. And, And we, even in hearing that gift, can often ask, what if I lose it? And that's the next question I want us to ask. Can I fall out? Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. When I was in college, one of the things that my friends really got into was rock climbing, (laughs) which is great, but I am terrified of heights. And I have the personality that if everybody wants to do it, I'm going to follow along and do it, which is really like gracious of God that my friends weren't all into hard drugs. Um, So I started getting into climbing. And like I said, I'm, I'm terrified of heights. So they got into rock climbing. I got into like deeply studying safety gear and ropes and like how much tension can this thing take before it breaks? And, and they would make fun of me because we would climb and I, like they would have their light belts and they'd have a rope and they'd climb up there and I would have like a rope and extra rope, two things holding on and everything that I could possibly have, my helmet, helmet on top of my helmets and I'd start to climb up. And one of the things that you can actually do in climbing is you can have a two rope setup. One of them wiring all the way up to the top and back down. Another one wiring up all the way to the top to back down, just in case one of them were to break. Which is so ridiculous because these things can hang a car from their, from like their rope, much less my like five foot nothing like frame can dangle from that rope. No problem. And so I, I, I wanted to have that double security of two ropes. I wanted to know for sure that I wouldn't fall. Do you you know what I'm saying? Jesus says, they're in my hand and no one can take them. And they're in my father's hand and no one's greater than my father. I and the father are one. We are held onto by God, like the two invincible ropes of Jesus holding you in his hand and the father holding you in his. No one can take us from him. Amen. But we are so often insecure. What are you afraid will snatch you out of God's hand? Are you afraid the rope could break? 
Is it the cancer that crawls through your body? Are you afraid as you sit in the waiting room that Jesus might've let you go? No one will snatch them out of my hand. Are you trying to hold on tight to God? But the darkest thoughts of mental health and suicidal ideation have have you wondering, I'm scared that I might let go. Jesus says, no one takes them from my hand. But what about my own sins? I keep messing up and I'm scared that I might be getting too heavy for his hands to hold onto. Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Tell me church, is there anything stronger than the hand of Jesus? Is there anything stronger than the hand of Jesus held in the hand of God almighty? Can I fall out? No. If you're his sheep, if you love his voice, if you desire to be with him, if you hear the stories of the gospels in in those moments, your heart longs for it. You know you're a mess, but you desire Jesus and you wish you could see him face to face. You wish he would come back now just so your faith could be made sight. Do you have that in you? Because if you do, nothing in this world, in heaven or above, could ever separate you from the love of God, period. I pray that those of us who maybe have realized that they aren't actually sheep would have just heard that and thought, I actually kind of want that. I don't want the heavy religiosity that makes me be the one that has to hold on tight. I I pray that those of us who are so insecure about our faith at times, that you would rest today so well that you'd go home and you'd immediately go take a nap. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to perform anything this week. You are loved by Jesus so much that you rest in his hands. I want rest for you, church. But there are still those of us who hearing this sadly will remain as the crowds and as the Jewish leaders did, the skeptic. So continue in verse 31. It says that the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, Make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. They are the skeptics. They ask a question that I think all of us actually need to ask, which is, how could we possibly believe this? For them, Jesus is making a claim that only God could make, right? And so they respond with skepticism and in their minds going, Jesus is claiming something that cannot be true. And so they pick up stones to stone him. But Jesus, I love him. He doesn't, he doesn't blow off the skeptic. 
What's crazy is he's still there with the crowds who don't believe him. I'm reading these stories this week and I'm going like, Jesus, you're wasting your time. Like stick with the people who follow you. But he doesn't. He invites them to truly ask the more important questions. He responds to the crowd and he essentially, in, in, in short, he points out a Psalm, Psalm 82 and says, look, there's precedent in the Old Testament for me to make the claims that I'm making. And he does it by saying, how much greater? In Psalm 82, there's a scripture that metaphorically calls the people of Israel gods because the scripture came to them as a representative for the world. So Jesus goes, if that's what the scripture says, what do you call the one who is consecrated by the heavenly father and sent as his messenger, who is the light of the world, who perfectly does the will of the father, who you see doing mighty works before, what do you call him? Why not the son of God? seems like that would be an appropriate title. But Jesus isn't doing this to necessarily argue. He's doing this to just kind of like get them to pause for a moment so that they might ask the deeper question, which is this in 37. If I am not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus is inviting the skeptic to evaluate the evidence. He takes their skepticism and he begins with what they do believe. Because I think they, they, as an entire Jewish crowd, they believe in a God who has the power to do anything. They have never seen somebody open the eyes of the blind and here Jesus is opening the eyes of the blind. So what do you call that? They believe in a God who's on a mission of redemption and who will one day restore all of life. And here Jesus is, and he's healing the paralyzed and preaching a message better than anybody's ever heard. What do you call that? Jesus invites them. He goes, look, you can't trust me. Fine. Look at what's happening. And you tell me by the evidence what this means. He invites the skeptic to take a look at the evidence before them, to look at the works that he is doing and to then believe that he is doing the work of the father. But what do we look to, right? It's 2021. I can't go find Jesus and see him heal people in the moment. (laughs) Sometimes we can almost think that we have less than the people of the Bible and even in our minds go, man, I I missed out on a time, a period of life where faith would have been so deep. But pay attention to what's happening in the gospel of John so far, right? People see the signs, they don't make them believe. In fact, the ones that do believe in the gospel of John, they believe, you know why? Because they hear something about Jesus. They love it so much, they come running to him and follow him. And then maybe at some point they see a sign, but they already believed. So what do we look to? We have more than they did. Jesus says, look at my works. If you can't believe me and trust me, look at my works. What better work is there than the cross and the resurrection? We are not like them. We're not living before Jesus resurrected from the dead. We are living after it. 
So we have more works today, right now to point to and to see the evidence before us than they ever did back then. How do you, how do you, how are you sure that something has happened historically? You can't fit into the scientific method, right? You can't plug whether or not Alexander the Great existed into scientific method. It doesn't work. So what do you do? Well, as you would, as any good historian, you would look at the world around you and you say, is there enough evidence to show me that the world has changed in such a way that Alexander the Great must have been real? The testimony that others give, the way the world changes because of the events. And then you go, yeah, Alexander the Great, he existed. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at the history of the church. Overnight, an entire people group who did not believe it was possible for someone to ever resurrect from the dead, much less in the middle of human history as a man, overnight changes their thoughts to believing that this not only could happen, but did happen in Jesus. And then by the thousands, they suddenly are ready to die. That's historical fact. And in that moment, instead of people, the next generation going like, it's probably not a good idea to become a Christian because we're all gonna get killed. On the thousands in mass, people continue to grow. The church explodes in human history to give evidence that something happened powerful. And I, I, would, I would just invite you even just personally in here. If you are here and you're not a Christian and you actually would answer yes to some of these next questions, and you really believe that I just haven't had enough evidence or explain, I would love, I'll buy you coffee. I love talking about this stuff. But here are the questions that I have become to ask a lot more often than trying to give the proofs. Because it is not lack of signs or explanation, but lack of desire. The first question that I ask is this, and this is not just for the skeptic. This is, this is for all of us, church. When you hear the good news of Jesus, When you hear the story of the gospel, do you want it to be true? If I could prove it to you, not would you believe it? Because of course you would believe it. But if I could prove it to you right now, would you want it to be true? That question is far more important than even getting to the evidence. Because I've walked people through this at times and, and at the end of the day, they don't want it to be true. Here's the second question. Can you show me something better? Look at the works of Jesus. Church, look at what he's done. Look at his message of grace and reconciliation and the sacrificial love of God Almighty and this beautiful narrative story that takes all of us humanity that are so different and unites us into one under one blood in sacrificial love with a hope for the world to come where death is finally conquered and we no longer have to experience any of that brokenness. And tell me, can you think of a better story for the world than that? Can you think of a better philosophy than that? Can you think of a better hope to unite human beings together than the love of Jesus? Jesus says, look at my works and you tell me what they mean. And I I think this is what we, we as a church need to go on again and again, telling one another, believe, and then go on again and again and reassure 
God has you. I'm, I'm very thankful for my, my opportunity to pastor you all. I'm convinced God put me here because he needed me to say it a thousand times or I just wouldn't believe it. And I think that for a lot of us, that's actually true. We need to say it again and again to one another to be reminded of the goodness of this truth that there is nothing better than the story and the message and the good news of Jesus, amen? We need to tell each other. So when you walk out those doors, tell someone, amen, Jesus is good. And to reach, assure one another in the dark moments, God has you. So since many of us at right now or at some time in the future or in the past find ourselves feeling like we're in the waiting room, let's take communion together as a reminder of the promises God has given us. So I'll invite the band on, on the stage, wherever you guys are, you guys can make your way up, grab the bread. We are insecure and we doubt the promises of God. So every week we need reminders. This is the body of Christ very powerfully and mysteriously. He is present with us right now. Take and eat the body of Christ. And this this wine, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. A blood that makes us into one new family with one new hope. And so I invite you, people of God, the true sheep, take a drink. This is the blood shed for you. With that, I'm gonna invite us now to pray. Jesus, there is no one like you. And I, I just pray even now for your spirit to do the hard work of the preaching of the word of God, that you'd speak into your people in such a way that the things that illuminated you would stick and that you, your spirit would powerfully reassure them even as they go into a time of worship and as they come up for prayer, that your spirit would remind them and that those words would just stick in their heads again and again. No one snatches them from my hand. No one snatches them from my hand. I and the Father are one. You're so worthy of being praised. So we're gonna, we're gonna worship you now, Jesus. Would you use our voices, which are faulty and never perfect to lift up your name in such a way, Lord, because you are worth it.